You're listening to an Eon podcast. This is episode four of the Seven Steps to Freedom from Anxiety, Depression, and ADHD podcast series. Throughout this series, I've been lucky enough to sit with and learn from naturopath, speaker, author and mentor, Jodie Gozard, formerly Jodie Chapman, about how one can find freedom from anxiety, depression and ADHD. I hope you find Jodie's world as fascinating and as interesting as I do, but most of all, I hope you enjoy each episode. In episode four, Jodie and I discussed how to nourish the body through diet. She educates us about nutrients, how malabsorption can result in deficiencies and ultimately affect your mood. Jodie, we've previously learnt about the digestive system becoming inflamed as a result of malabsorption and deficiency of vitamins and nutrients. But tell us about the nourishing side of things. So how do we set things right? Macronutrients, the breakdowns of proteins, fats and carbs, however you want to look at your diet, whether you are vegetarian or vegan, pescatarian, keto, paleo, it really doesn't matter. What you do need to pay attention to when it comes to diet around mental health is what your food intolerances are, reducing inflammation, eating in such a way that you're not producing a lot of insulin because insulin is pro-inflammatory and considering the foods that you eat will feed bacteria. So this is really probably one of the most misunderstood or not thought of situations in that if I think about the athletes that I have seen over the years, From their perspective, carbohydrates are very, very important for fuel to be able to achieve the endurance sports that they are focusing on. However, sometimes if we're overdoing the amount of carbohydrates that we have, we're feeding certain bacteria that are very harmful and we're encouraging them to take over the bowel and that can then lead to a suppression of good bacteria which are required for making our brain chemicals and our hormones. So many, many years of that, you can actually find yourself in an adrenal fatigue or a chronic fatigue state because we're not replenishing our own cells any longer because we don't have the proteins available to do that if we get that gut flora imbalance. So if we're thinking about our goals, our first one is that we need to have enough proteins and fats in our diet to restore our body because that is what we're made of proteins and fats. So our hormones, our brain chemicals, our muscle, our tissue to repair, this is what we're made of. So if we reduce either of those in our diet, no matter which diet we choose to eat, we will compromise our ability to heal and our ability to grow and recover from anything. If we're looking at our inflammatory levels, and this is how how important it is for almost every disease risk, but depression, anxiety, uh, behavioural problems, learning disorders, they are all impacted by inflammation of the brain or inflammation of the gut. And inflammation can be produced by too much insulin. So the amount of carbohydrates you eat as opposed to the amount of proteins you eat at the same time can impact how much pro-inflammatory hormones that you make. So there is a way of eating where you can have the carbohydrates that you need and not produce too much insulin in response to that. So it's a matter of balancing your proteins, fats and carbs at every meal the right way so that your dietary hormones are well controlled. And then, of course, 
your food intolerances, all of the things that we've discussed already, gene mutations, high stress, sometime in your life when you might have contracted a bacterial infection if you travelled overseas. Any of these things that might disrupt gut integrity can lead to you developing food intolerances. And the more foods that you're eating that you're currently intolerant to, the more inflammation on the gut wall you produce on that day. And that then will recreate the same pattern in your brain. So a food allergy response causing inflammation in the gut will within possibly 10 minutes or less produce inflammation in the brain as well, very likely, or a fluid retention response. And this will impact your mood. So again, food allergies, removing those, the right amount of proteins, fats and carbs to stabilise your insulin and your dietary hormones that um, encourage detoxification and then bacterial control. So that's probably the most important. And these you can do by balancing the amount of protein, fat and carb that you have at every meal and throughout the day, no matter what style of eating you like. You did mention macronutrients. Mm. What's the scientific rationale behind them and what are they for the people that aren't aware and um, what are their effect on the brain? Yeah, so uh, proteins, fats and carbs are our major breakdown of our foods. So we have our vegetables that fall into our carbohydrate category, fruits, grains. We've got a lot of vitamins that are associated with vegetables or included in vegetables. So our vitamin capacity comes from, and minerals of course, comes from our vegetables and grains and a little bit of proteins in our in our grains as well. However, mostly vegetables, fruits and grains are fat-free. So we put vegetables, fruits and grains into the carbohydrate section. Now we need very good amounts of these in our diet, especially because the vegetables and the fibre in the grains actually encourage very beneficial bacteria in our gut. And their job is to convert the nutrients that we get from the food into the vitamins we use for building blocks. So if you have missing a missing group of bacteria types called bacteroides, for instance, those guys convert all of the fibre from our vegetables into certain nutrients that we require. And without that, we just have that missing. So if we have a fibre-free diet, then we can lack a, a huge amount of vitamins, even if we're getting the vitamins from a some other source. If it's low in fibre, eventually that type of bacteria will die off and we will reduce, we'll become possibly malnutritioned in those certain vitamins. Proteins. Now, proteins are our meat sources, our poultry, our fish. There are proteins in um, legumes, so our kidney beans and, you know, things like nuts and seeds. These all contain proteins as well. However, proteins in our meat sources are pure protein. We've got amino acids that are essential to the brain. So each neurotransmitter, say serotonin, for instance, the amino acid that's required for serotonin is tryptophan. Now, for serotonin production, we need a basic set of vitamins, so usually magnesium, vitamin C, range of B vitamins, iron and zinc, for instance, minerals and nutrients, which we get from our vegetables. But if we lack that one amino acid, tryptophan, we won't succeed in producing our serotonin. If we then lack other enzymes, for instance, such as 5-HTP or SAMI, these enzymes are produced in the body by our liver generally 
and convert our serotonin into melatonin for healthy sleep. So if we're not receiving all of the proteins and all of the vitamins, we will have a break in that cycle or that biochemical pathway in making serotonin. Serotonin is our happy brain chemical. So without it, this is the one that's probably most focused on in terms of depression, which is what a lot of the antidepressants are focused on. And it helps a great deal in helping us stay well and happy and to not fall into the negativity of depression. Dopamine is your other brain neurotransmitter or another brain neurotransmitter that is associated with joy and pleasure and reward and exercise and motivation and drive and all of these things that make us succeed and feel a sense of achievement in our life. And dopamine's main amino acids are phenylalanine and tyrosine. Now, these two amino acids are absolutely essential. and Without it, we won't convert dopamine eventually to adrenaline. So dopamine converts to adrenaline and has an impact on us having all the energy that we need to get through a day. So again, essential amino acids such as these, glutamine, again from protein, helps make GABA, which is a brain chemical which reduces anxiety. So if you don't have enough GABA, you can feel a great deal of anxiety all the time and GABA needs to be produced for you to sleep well, sleep onset and for reducing panic attacks and these kinds of things. Glutamine just happens to be one of the most abundantly used amino acids for muscle repair. So you find a lot of athletes will use it in training and also for gut repair. So I think we talked about that in the past in that glutamine repairs the cell wall in the digestive system as well as joints. So glucosamine will break down to glutamine or will be used as a glutamine derivative in the body if the joints or the gut require it and it will convert to that glutamine. So it's very important that we understand that we can only get those amino acids from the protein sources from our diet. So if someone's not really aware that they need those, that macro group, they might eat a carbohydrate and vegetable type diet with some fats, nuts and seeds, not as much as they might need, then we might find that they become slowly protein deficient over time. So as I said, no matter what type of diet that you want to eat from a conscious choice, you need to ensure that you're getting a volume from each food group that's uh, vital for producing your brain chemicals and producing all of your hormones. Fats also come in oily fish, fats come in nuts and seeds, fats are essential for the nervous system in that fats make that white myelin sheath is what it's called, which coats every nerve that comes down from the brain. And it has an impact on speeding up the process between the thought and the action. So making decisions or physical movement. So, you know, some people move a little bit more slowly or think a little bit more slowly and not making decisions as clearly as they should possibly because they might not have enough fat in their diet. Memory is a huge part of fat absorption. Vitamin D, for instance, is a fat-soluble vitamin and vitamin D is essential to prevent any kind of memory type component. So any type of fatty vitamin, A, D, E and K are our fatty vitamins. Our brain is made of DHA. DHA and EPA is what we get from fish oil, which is why fish oil is so essential for the brain. So if we can't get that from fish, we have to find some other source that will convert 
to DHA. So our focus, our attention, our ability to concentrate, our brain needs is made of fat. It needs to be restored by fat, but our brain also needs glucose to be able to function properly, which is where we can't go carb-free either. Mm. So being very, very mindful that if you cut out any food group, if you choose any kind of diet that restricts one of the food groups, you can really create a detrimental effect that you have no idea you're about to do. So you can change the ratios at different times depending on what you're going to do. So for instance, uh, at one point in my life, I did a lot of weightlifting type training. And at that stage, I was eating keto for up to a couple of years. And that was great. I felt great. However, I always ensured that I had plenty of vegetables to get my fiber and to get my lower amount of carbs from that source. At a different time, I did triathlon. So I realized at that time that I needed much more fuel. But what I did instead of carbing at every time I felt I needed carbs, I timed my carbs to about eight hours before I trained so that I had that glucose available from my liver to be able to provide energy at the time. So that I then didn't eat carbs around the clock, I ate it still at a time which would be available to me and the rest of the time I combined it with virtually keto. So, you know, there are different ways that you can look at diet no matter how you choose it, but you need to ensure that you get those macronutrients and that they're there to do the job that they need to do for your mental health. Okay, so essentially the macronutrients are everything collectively but choosing the right things and imbalance, is that right? Yeah, so you've got a bit of everything in everything, you know. Um, vegetables also contain some protein but they are mostly carbohydrates where nuts and seeds are a combination of fats and proteins. Well, actually fats, proteins and carbs equally are nuts and legumes, they have mostly protein and carbohydrates, not so much fats. So you, when you uh, choose a certain type of diet, if you're not aware of the uh, volume of these things in your foods, you really need to seek some dietary advice from someone who is a professional in that field. Yeah. So uh, my next question, I feel like we've already touched on it, but it was whether there are foods we can eat to achieve ultimate nutrition absorption that will positively affect our moods. Have you got any answer to that other than what we've already discussed? I mean, obviously it's highly dependent on what people are allergic to as well. Yes, that's right. It's highly dependent on what people are allergic to and it's highly dependent on what people are doing in their day-to-day activity levels. So, for instance, if I have a client and they say, okay, I do weights maybe three or four times a week, I'm not a, not a huge athlete so I'm not burning a lot of calories except for that you know, weight training and I have a desk job. So, okay, we need enough fuel for them to be able to do their exercise. But generally, if they're not moving around too much, they don't need too much carbohydrate to sustain their day. In saying that, someone with a very high thought process type job will actually burn through a great deal more glucose than someone who doesn't, who has maybe a more physical job that isn't doing as much thinking. Strangely enough, the brain utilises so much glucose, it's incredible. So even if you've got a sedentary job, you need to ensure that your blood sugar stays stable through the day. Is that why I crave sugar all the time? Because I'm a creative. Is that why? (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll say that anyway. (laughs) Yes, so the more brain, brain cells you're burning through, the more sugar you need. So, however, in saying that, it can be a little bit misleading in that if we're just eating sugars without the protein, 
what happens is your insulin rises and within a few hours or maybe even not a few hours, just one hour, your blood sugar will drop and you'll go right down and you will crave carbs. So you need to work around avoiding that. So how we avoid that is we want to ensure we have protein at every meal. So protein stabilizes blood sugar. So you might find someone who craves day in, day out, up and down every three hours, they've started their day with cereal and something that has some sort of uh, maybe a milk source. But most, if they've got more carbs than protein, the insulin that they're producing from that carbs is going to set their blood sugar on a high. And then within a few hours, they're going to drop down low again because they didn't ensure they had enough protein in that same meal to stabilize their blood sugar for a good eight hours. Fats satisfy hunger. So if you ensure you have fats and proteins as your first meal of the day, you won't be hungry for many hours, maybe four or five hours, plus your blood sugars will be stable and you won't crave. So all of these years that we've been looking at having cereal for breakfast Mm. can actually be to our demise in a way because if if we um, switch to proteins and fats for breakfast, we find that we go a great deal longer. We still provide plenty of calories for our body to need the energy to get through the day, but we don't do it in such a way that sets our blood sugars off all day long. If you require energy for the day, you need to have your carbohydrates. However, if you eat your carbohydrates right before you need the energy, such as If you're going out to go for a run or go for a ride or say you are a labourer and you do a lot of physical work through your day, you will find that if you eat those carbs in the morning right before it, it will not provide energy for you. What will provide energy for you will be whatever carbs you ate the night before. So you can't really convert that energy as quickly as within an hour. It takes a good five to eight hours for your body to break down those carbohydrates and store the insulin or the hormones in your liver ready to dispense to the muscles. And this is something that, you know, you can be fueling at night before bed for someone who needs to get up in the morning and have physical energy, not worry about high carbing in the morning because you can't access it anyway and having your proteins and fats in the morning. So that then stabilizes your blood sugar all day. Okay. So To sustain energy throughout the day, say, for example, I have a friend who gets up and works out, Um, he might go for a run or for a surf, is it better for him and his energy throughout the day to eat before he goes for his workout or after when he gets home? Generally, uh, you'll find that it's best to avoid the food in the morning prior to going, A, because when you go out and do something physical, some sort of sport, you're switching into sympathetic nervous system mode which actually switches off parasympathetic nervous system, which is digestion. So you're unable to digest that food anyway. However, during the time that you're training, you're burning a whole lot of energy and you will need to top up on your food and generally your carbs then because that's when your blood sugars will start to drop and you'll feel it. So I know when I was cycling up to three hours in a morning, I could go without any food prior to leaving, but within an hour in, I'd notice I'd start thinking about food or something sweet. And I know that my blood sugars were dropping at that time. So you do need to restore when you come home to get that carbohydrates. But once again, I would never, ever do carbohydrate when I got back on its own 
I would always combine it with fat and protein at the same time so I'd then be able to regulate my blood sugar gain for the rest of the day. Whereas if I come home from a hectic training session, whether it's surfing, whether it's running, whether it's riding a bike, it doesn't really matter. If I come back and I hit carbs, my blood sugar is going to rise again and then within three hours it's going to crash again and I'm going to start a cycle all day long of craving carbs and not any point am I then going to feel satisfied in my food all day. Food will be on my mind all day. Whereas if I'm able to have those proteins and fats so that I'm not hungry anymore and I'm not craving anymore, my brain will start to work the way that it's meant to and I'll be able to focus on the rest of my day all of my tasks, whatever I want to do, my focus and attention will be high, my mood will be high, everything will work properly. So when you were training for triathlons, would you ever have a high glucose supplement to boost your energy? If I'm training for triathlon, I don't choose anything that gives me a quick sugar release. And I know this is different to a lot of triathletes that I've met over the time, but You know, for me, for many years, I ate in a keto. I did keto for about 15 years. So I was very well accustomed to getting my fuel from proteins and fats. So your body will choose calories first from carbs because it's easy, but your body will also just as easily take calories from fats. So if you remove carbs and replace it with fats, your body tends to have no problem with that generally as long as you hadn't have enough protein to stabilise your blood sugar at the time. Your body will only choose proteins as a last resort, as an easy-to-break-down calorie source because it's avoiding cases where you're eating your own muscle or, you know, starvation is where your body will take fat off your body first before it will take protein. So it will take your body stored body fat before it will take muscle. And that's the reason why that happens. So if you're providing fats and proteins during your training sessions, you're still providing the calories that you need to function. But if you go straight for a quick carbohydrate while you're training, you'll find that you'll set your blood sugars off probably while you're training. So this is where I avoid that. I make sure that if I'm in an event... I will take a high fat product with me. So nuts that also contain carbohydrates and possibly something with some simple carbohydrate with it. So I might take some honey nut bars. So it's got a lot of protein in that with enough carbohydrate to be able to access quickly because you still need that quick access when you've burned through to nothing, which is what endurance sports do. So you do require that, but I'd never do it without the proteins and the fats at the same time. At one point, however, and this is very long endurance, I did a half Ironman and I noticed towards the end, I was great while I was swimming and riding and I got to about four or five hours, four hours into the event and I was uh, then on the run. And I noticed during my run when my blood sugars were so low I was really struggling with my thoughts. At that point, I was questioning myself, why am I doing this? This is crazy. This is worse worse than childbirth. This is, I don't even get a child at the end of this. This is insane. And, you know, I'm thinking, thank God I'm not doing the full Ironman at this point. And what I realised, I always questioned, why do they offer you lollies and Coke during triathlon events? Because I thought, oh, They're the most unhealthy things that you can possibly give someone who's, you know, very healthy. However, when I had 
some of those lollies straight away, my brain came back up to normal. So there is a place for that very quick release sugar if you're in a very long endurance event. And that's when I found it very, very useful. But I'd burned through everything at that point. So I had already consumed my fat, protein and carb type uh, things on my ride and my energy was sustained that way. However, my blood sugars had just gotten too low. So probably not for football? No, no, not for something where you get that... Short, yeah. Yeah, that short where you get a chance. It really takes many, many hours before you get to that point. So earlier you mentioned hormones and hormone release and foods and diet triggering hormone release. Mm. So I have a question and it may be stupid, but are there foods that can trigger an estrogen release? We have an interesting thing with estrogen. When we talk about foods affecting hormones, we're talking about insulin and affect um, release from eating carbohydrates and glucagon glycogen stores, these different types of hormones from proteins, et cetera, but they impact our other hormones. So if your insulin is too high, it can have an effect on our cortisol or vice versa. If our cortisol is too high from too much stress, it will have an impact on our insulin. We'll start craving carbohydrates, which is why some people crave carbs terribly under a great deal of stress. So dietary hormones will have an effect on our reproductive hormones. So progesterone and estrogen, for instance. However, it's not really a direct effect. It would be more indirect and over time. The reason I ask is that I've mentioned before that I suffer from focal migraines and I feel my symptoms come on occasionally whilst eating Mm. things like Vietnamese food. Sometimes I'll just be standing having a conversation with somebody and I'll feel that fog of a migraine. Mm. But the headache doesn't come, it's just the fog mm. and the echo. Mm. Um, but that's all it comes. But usually it's aligned with a certain type of food. Mm. So that's why I asked. Yeah, it's an interesting question because um, I grew up with migraines. So I always had worse migraines when I got my period. And I'd have, when I, when I first got my period for many years, for three days, I would have a migraine where I would be vomiting and bedridden every month for three days. I couldn't get out of bed. And I thought, okay, migraines have got to be only hormone related here. Yet I'd have the same response when I ate a food I was intolerant to. However, it would only last for a few hours. So I was constantly questioning, what is the connection between eating foods you're intolerant to and having an impact on your hormones? And one of the things that I um, was able to work out over many years of testing is that when you have a food allergy response, you retain fluid. That fluid retention has an impact on different organs. So immediately your immune system kicks in. But your immune system also then triggers your thyroid to try to balance that fluid and to try to restore normality. However, your thyroid is responsible. It's fed by an amino acid called tyrosine, which is the same amino acid that you require for dopamine. And that's possibly why we get tired and sleepy when we eat a food intolerance. Food, uh, we drop in dopamine. But dopamine has a role to play with progesterone and estrogen as well, or progesterone specifically. Progesterone will drop almost immediately during a period of food reaction. So I found that we would get a ratio change between progesterone and estrogen where estrogen, even if it's stable, 
would seem like it's rising in response to progesterone dropping. So you'd get an estrogen dominance type response within 10 minutes after eating a food. So yes, reproductive hormones will be impacted, but that isn't necessarily because of the insulin or the protein that we eat, but more the food allergy response, which is an immune response. So you can affect your hormones in so many different ways through the way that you eat. And hormones directly affect our brain neurotransmitters. So this is why it's really important to find out who someone is as an individual. Work out what foods are they intolerant to. Remove them for a period of time, whether that's six months, 12 months. Reintroduce them when they're not intolerant anymore, as in after you've repaired their gut, once you've got their gene mutations stabilised and they're not swinging in histamine. Once you've gotten their gut flora balanced, balance that part of their diet. Then at the same time, ensure that no matter what amount of exercise, when someone exercises, how long they exercise for, what time it's happening, make sure that you're providing the right food and fuel around that based on their energy requirements. And lastly, make sure you're not feeding those gut bacteria, the harmful ones, the huge amounts of food that they require to breed if they're not beneficial because they then end up suppressing the beneficial bacteria and that then reduces your ability to make all of your hormones and brain chemicals again. Okay, wow. Well, thank you, Jodie. I definitely have a greater understanding as to which foods may affect my moods. I imagine our listeners do too. And that's it for this episode. In the next episode of the Seven Steps of Freedom from Anxiety, Depression and ADHD podcast series, Jodie will talk to us about nutrients, how malabsorption can result in deficiencies and ultimately affect our mental state. If you're enjoying this series, please support us by subscribing to all episodes. If while listening you've had something of a light bulb moment and have the urge to reach out to Jodie, you can contact her via her website, advancedwellness.com.au. And finally, if you're experiencing a personal crisis or are having dark thoughts, please reach out to one of the many services available such as Lifeline. Lifeline's phone number is 131114.